Hello and welcome back to another very exciting episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Elan Mastai. He has worked in the film industry for years and he is best known for writing the award-winning screenplay for What If, the film starring Daniel Radcliffe, Zoe Kazan and Adam Driver. So he's just written a book, his debut novel. It's called All Are Wrong Todays and it's his debut and the film rights for the adaptation have been secured by Paramount and producer Amy Pascal, who produced the 2016 Female Ghostbusters no less, is also working on it and Elan is currently writing the screenplay at the moment for the film development so that's very exciting. So the premise of the book it's 2016 and there is a protagonist called Tom. Technology has sort of solved all of humanity's problems there's no war no poverty but Unfortunately, Tom is still not happy and he's lost the girl of his dreams and he has a broken heart. And then an accident happens involving a time machine. And to find out more, you will have to read the book and buy the book. I really enjoyed this chat. Um, It's really interesting uh, for me to learn more about the film industry, what goes into writing screenplays, how to use the craft of writing in different ways from novels to films. We recorded this one at Penguin, so thank you to Penguin Random House for giving us a lovely room with a lovely view of London whilst we chatted about all things books and creativity, getting into the industry and staying inspired. Here it is. Congratulations. Thank you. Your first debut novel. It's incredible. And it's already had such excitement behind it. How are you feeling? I feel good. I mean, as a first-time novelist, you don't anticipate any of this. You know, the level of attention and the positive reactions are so far beyond what, you know, even my most grandiose dreams mm-hmm. for the book that I, I feel very, very lucky. And I'm, and also just, you know, you write a book because you want to connect with people. And so the fact that the book is connecting with people means a lot to me. It means yeah. everything to me. Yeah. And because with your script writing, I guess that's what you might be most well known for. Kind right. of before As a now. screenwriter, yeah. As a screenwriter. And I wondered, I guess, if you've written in that capacity before, why do the book first and then maybe turn it into something that could be on a screen? Right. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, you know, I did this movie, What If, uh, with Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan, Adam Driver. Adam, Adam Driver, oh my God. Yeah, Adam's, yeah. Adam's <laughs> amazing. Um, and I had a terrific experience. I was really fortunate in that movie. I was working with the director and with the cast that really loved the script and were very respectful and very protective of the script, which isn't always the case. I'd written other movies where that wasn't the case. And so that was, just, in addition to just, you know, we worked really hard to make the best movie possible. It was also just a very... Uh, rewarding experience working with people who had so much respect for the writing. Mm. Um, and I was working with a couple of actors on that movie, Dan and Zoe in particular, who toggled between film and theater. You know, Zoe had come up through the theater and had also worked in film, obviously, movies like Ruby Sparks and many other terrific films. Yeah. Dan obviously started in the Harry Potter franchise, but he, he'd made it a real priority to do theater. And I, I remember talking to them about why and when we were making the movie and that idea of... Um, even though you're acting, film acting and theater acting are just completely different beasts. You, you're using different skills in that theater is sort of a full body workout. Mm-hmm. Um, the way film is more like, you know, it's like a, a sprint. Um, and you can't do it again if it goes wrong. You can't do it again. You get, you get a whole bunch of takes and then that's it. Um, and the camera is super close and you're using different muscles um, and you have a different relationship because you are trying to be present as an actor uh, in the moment, but you're also playing for the camera and for that sort of invisible audience that will be out there. And it's not a holistic experience. Your, your performance is going to be cut into pieces and reassembled mm. by an editor. It's different on stage. 
and I was thinking about that for my own writing and um, you know I, I, I felt kind of inspired to do the same thing as a writer that they were doing as as actors which is to have the full body experience mm. and, and to me that was writing a novel yeah. now I didn't want to just write a novel for no for just for the reason of writing a novel so that was just going on in my head and then I had the idea for this particular story and um, because I'm a screenwriter, initially I did think about it as a movie, but the more I thought about it, the more the idea kind of percolated, I realized that the best way to tell this particular story would be as a novel. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a confluence. I had this, this particular idea that felt like it, it should be a book. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was just looking for that next big challenge. And I, I like to kind of keep pushing myself as a writer. And there's nothing more challenging than writing a novel. And so... Yes. Um, so that was kind of why, yeah. both the, the combination of the story and the place I was in my life as a writer. That's really interesting, because I feel as well there's a real myth around timings of like how long things take, yeah. and actually how much work goes into this stuff. Is there a difference between how long it takes to write a film versus a book? Yeah, I mean, well, one major difference, I mean, this is obvious, is that the screenplay is only one part of the process. So you might spend years working on a screenplay, but you're only a part of the way along the journey because you're going to be collaborating with right. the producers, the director, the actors, the cast. The, a script, um, no matter how much you labor on every single word, you know, the audience doesn't go sit down in a movie theater and watch your script projected onto the screen, right? It, it's, you're more like an architect designing a blueprint for a building that people are going to go live in. Um, it doesn't matter how beautiful the blueprint was if the building falls down. And so it's a much more collaborative process. The difference with the, with the novel, and in fact, actually, the novel was a, 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 in, in a lot of ways a faster process than making a movie. Um, but it's also, it was a, a very different experience because you realize while you're writing it that um, the words you're writing are the experience. The mm -hmm. collaboration isn't with the director and actors. The collaboration is with your reader. The kind yeah. of movie you're is going to be projected on the inside of the reader's brain. And mm -hmm. so there's a sort of there's a, there's a much actually I felt a heightened sense of responsibility with this book because I'm writing these words. I'm creating telling a story, and mm -hmm. that's what people are going to read. And so. You know, I take every word seriously, even as a screenplay, but in a book, obviously that was 10, 100, 1,000 times yes. more important. Yeah, it's, it's like a totally different muscle. It must be. Yeah, I mean, you know, screenplays are... The thing about a screenplay is no matter what genre you're writing, it doesn't matter if it's a comedy, if it's a horror film, it's if it's a historical epic, uh, an action flick, they're all written in the exact same style. Um, it's always written in the third person. It's in the present tense. Um, your exterior to the to the character. You you watch their behavior. You you hear the things they say, but you're not inside their head. It's a very lean, very laconic style. Obviously, it's very vi visually dynamic, but in terms of language, it's actually a very spare writing style. And that was you know one of the reasons why I was looking for a challenge. It's like yeah. you. You have certain things you do, and you do them all the time, and you get really good at those things. I mean, theoretically, you hopefully mm. get good by doing it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as a, as, a, as a novelist, as a first-time novelist, there was the freedom of, oh, I, I have access to all these literary techniques that I, I never get to use. And so that was incredibly fun, and I tried to bring that sort of sense of fun and energy and playfulness to the book. Um, at the same time, you still have to show discipline because just mm -hmm. because you're having fun, that, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that the reader is having fun. And so, although I did really enjoy having access to all these literary techniques and I kind of, you know, you sort of want to like, 
it's like taking a car out onto the road for a test drive. You want to kind of put the, your pedal to the metal and see how far, you, how fast you can go. At the same time, I, that sense of discipline as a writer always rears back, and you go, okay, well, just because you can do something, that doesn't mean you should do it. So, what are the what are the literary techniques that are will t make this story the best possible? And I mean, a fundamental, just like a profound difference for writing the novel is I wrote the novel in the first person, mm -hmm. right? It's it's written from the character's perspective, yeah. and just that shift from third to first person it's was very huge. personal. The the way the technique, it's kind of like there's one chapter where you start and you're like, I have to tell you this. It's like quite sort of confessional as well. That's a, that's a great word for it, confessional. I, mm -hmm. I thought of that. Yeah, and I, I wanted a very warm, inviting kind of, there's sort of a casualness to the writing mm -hmm. style that's deliberate. I mean, this is a character telling you a story. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, um, he, the narrator Tom, you know, he has his own um, perspective. He has a, a sense of, of what was going on. Now, you as a reader can decide whether he's right or whether you have a different mm -hmm. interpretation. Mm -hmm. But part of that fun is like, I wanted it to feel like like you're sitting down for a beer with a friend, and he's going to tell you this wild story mm -hmm. that he went through. Yeah. And that's that's the feel I wanted. Yeah, the premise of it is. I mean, obviously, we're not going to do any spoilers on on the podcast, but the the premise of the story is is just. I mean, this is why this book is going to do so well. You have to know what happens. Right. The uh, the basic pre for those you know are we listening that don't know the premise of the of the book. I mean, it it starts in the present day and it's 2016, but it's the 2016 that people in the 1950s thought we were going to have mm -hmm. this kind of dazzling technological utopia, of flying cars and robot maids and teleportation, where technology solved all of humanity's problems. Which doesn't mean everybody's personal problem. I mean, mm -hmm. people still have family issues, romantic complications, people still have their own personal struggles, but the big picture has been has been taken care of by technology. But through a series of circumstances uh, involving a stolen prototype time machine, <laughs> uh, my protagonist finds himself waking up in our version of the world, what we think of as the real world, but which to him feels like this, like you said, this dystopia where everything has gone wrong. And it's terrifying for him, but at the same time he's got to figure out how to, how to how to, what to do, you know, how do you get back to the way the world is supposed to be, or are the things that you discover in this version of the world, you know, do they make you question exactly what kind of world you want to live in? Um, but yeah, that idea of, of seeing our world as the dystopia was very appealing to me. Just some of the things we take for granted. I mean, that's the thing. This is a character who takes a lot of things for granted, and this, the, the story fundamentally is about somebody who, who has to stop doing that, is forced to stop taking things for granted and take yeah. responsibility. You know? It's very human and relatable that you could think that money or technology or shiny things could solve your problems, but yeah. actually this doesn't. You, you, always, you might have something that just really upsets you. It doesn't matter what things you have. Well, we all have the things in our lives that we use to kind of paper over the cracks, you know? Um, and I, I wanted to tell, I mean... The fact that our phones are like not too far from us right now. I yeah. just feel like it, it's, if it got taken away, I don't, know, I don't know what I'd do. Well, you'd survive. I mean, it's like human civilization <laughs> We've managed. also got books in the room, so we would be That's fine. true. We're, we're okay. And cupcakes. Yeah, there are cupcakes in this room. Uh, so I think we could, we could, you know, if there was a zombie apocalypse right now, as long as we lock the door, we would be okay for a while. Oh, yeah. I'd want to I'd wanna be stuck in here or in a bookshop. You know, yeah, we'd, we'd be fine. I know. Sadly, you guys, you guys obviously can't see this, but we're sitting in a room with about twenty-five copies of, but but only of my book. So and the cupcakes you did are actually themed. Yes, kind of aesthetic from the book. I know. It's great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I didn't bake them myself. Um, I, I don't. That's not one of my skills. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was interested in interrogating that stuff um, because I think it's very much of the moment. Yeah, there are a lot of people who woke up after. Brexit or Trump or insert any number of you know 
shocking. Mm-hmm. You, um, imagine how the producers of La La Land feel right now oh after the big turnover at the at the Oscars. Uh, that that idea of waking up in a world uh, and like and, and feeling disoriented because it's not the way the world is supposed to be. Suddenly, um, all the things you thought were going to happen aren't happening. Some turn has happened. And that turn might be historical. It might not seem like it has anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. You didn't make a decision. Uh, some, you know, the world made a decision and suddenly you're thrust into what feels like a very different world. It does feel world. dystopian when that stuff gets announced. Yeah. It does feel, you're wandering around like, really? Is that yeah. really our president? <laughs> yeah, and you think, and there's that feeling of, well, number one, what does this have to do with my personal life? And then you realize, well, everything it colors everything and so that idea of waking up in a world that's not yours and trying to make sense of it and realizing you don't all the things that you took for granted all the rules of society that you believe in are suddenly upside Mm -hmm. down Mm -hmm. what that feels like i mean i think we do live in a time where there is a lot of anxiety and even dread about these big changes that are happening around us and and so the chance to write about this stuff with humor but also you know a critical eye Mm -hmm. and a sense of compassion you know i mean i wanted it to be it's always grounded although there is a look there's big plot twists and mm. huge reveals and I wanted to write something that was a real page turner that was very entertaining but at the same time there's these threads going through that are very human of, of what it means when your life is turned upside down yeah. how you cope with that a lot of the reviews or like the you know the quotes on Amazon and they have commented on the humour but also how clever it is I wanted to ask you about the time travel element of um because I was thinking the first time I thought about time travel in a way that made sort of sense was Donnie Darko, I think. Right. Or just a film like that where you're like, oh, wow, it's really sciencey. But what influences kind of affected you? You mean other writers? Other writers yeah. or other films? or Absolutely. I mean, I, I like time travel as a genre, and there's obviously terrific novels and movies that have used it. I mean, Kurt Vonnegut is a really big influence on me as a writer. Um, his book Slaughterhouse-Five was... I feel like that was, reading that, I wasn't like a teenager when I read it for the first time, but it was a really eye-opening um, book for me. It kind of like changed my perspective in the way that books you read when you're young do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been lots of books over the years and movies. I mean, you know, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm-hmm. although more a movie about memory, is really about time travel, you know, mm-hmm. and Primer, I mean, Back to the Future, Looper, there's, you know, there's lots of terrific yeah. uh, time travel movies. Um, but the, I always had this pet peeve about time travel, and this one of the things I got to do in this book is to explore that, which is that time travel stories, they always act as if you could just open a door to the past and walk through it, and you'll be in the exact same place in a different time. But that's like this weird, like, pre-Copernican idea of the Earth. Like, we all know that the Earth is moving very, very quickly. Like, here we are sitting together in this very, very lovely room in London, but we're actually hurtling through space at, like, almost a 1,000 miles an hour. And the Earth uh, is moving around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And the sun is moving through the galaxy at 1.3 million miles an hour. I apologize for not converting that into kilometers um, uh, just on the fly. I'm not a mathematician. Um, But the idea that we're actually hurtling at unbelievable speeds through space but that I'd never seen a time travel story that took that into consideration. And while, of course, you don't want to... Look, the reader doesn't need to read, like, some big essay on orbital mechanics. Obviously, I just kind of, like, you know, you, you kind of condense into a fun sort of, yeah. you know, page or two to explain how it works. Um, but I like the idea of creating a model of time travel that took into consideration that the Earth mm-hmm. is moving, and that if you and I were to time travel back to yesterday, we wouldn't end up in the same room. We'd actually be out in the vacuum of, of space with the Earth tens of thousands of miles away from us. Um, 
So I, I like to kind of think about that kind of stuff, mm. you know, because... Not and also, we can't be the same, can we? Because if we make one tiny decision that's different, the whole world is different. Well, and that's, of course, now you're getting into... Like the butterfly effect, yeah. sliding doors, all Well, that that's stuff. the heart of the book, you know, mm. that idea that, you know, we think if we made some... You know, it's a very human thing. Think about time travel, to go back, to get a second chance, to make mm. a different decision. Um, I do it, you do, we all do mm -hmm. it, you know. Um, when you have an argument and you really wish you'd said something really clever. Yes, <laughs> there, uh, there's a French word for that which I always loved. It's called, it's called like, um, l'esprit de l'escalier. And it's that thing where like 10 minutes after you've left, you come up with a perfect funny retort to the thing yeah. you should have said. Um, I was like, l'esprit, I don't know why it's the spirit of the staircase, but I, I like Maybe it. Maybe you're in the staircase, you're saying, damn. Well, I think what it is is you've left the apartment, you've stomped down the right. stairs, and just that you're at yeah. the bottom of the stairs and you realize that's what I should have said. Yeah. And you look back up at the staircase and you're like, can I really go back and say that? No, and so you just leave. Um, but you know, we make these, just, we, we think about how our lives could have turned out, the what ifs of our life. Um, not to make this a movie tie-in, um, <laughs> but uh, we always think of ourselves as being the same person. Like if I had made these different choices and had a different life, I would still be the same person, but why do we think that? Mm. I mean, that's something that's very interesting to me. If everything else changed, why would you be the same? We think yeah. it's, the, it's the sort of the human, it's a very natural human mm. ego thing to think that everything, the whole world could change, but I would be the same. Well, no, not yeah. necessarily. Right. Even going to a different yeah. school, you could be a different person. Your parents could have had different jobs. You could have mm. been raised in a different city. Maybe you're in a different economic class. Mm. You have different friends. Mm. You, have, you choose a different path in terms of your career. Maybe in one version of the world you go to university. Maybe one you just you don't. Mm. Um, you know, all these things. Fascinating. Yeah, and, and, and I like the idea of peeling away. And part of the, the fun of having not just my main character, but other characters in the story, we meet one version of them in one world and a very, diff very different versions of them in mm. another world. The chance to kind of peel back the layers of, of these characters and find out who they are mm. underneath. What can you strip away from somebody and have them still be who they are? And at what point do they become a different person? Mm. And then I also had, I mean, this is sort of, I don't want to get into spoilers of the book, but later on, it sort of, of course, asked the question, we assume that when you peel all the layers away, what's at our core is good. But what if it's not? What if all the layers are there for a very good reason? What if the layers are protecting us and everyone around us from who we really are? Then you start to get into some sort of very big kind of, you know, big questions about um, what makes us who, you know, what makes us the people that we are? How much of it is choice and how much of it is circumstance? Is this, is this something that, because um, what I find really interesting about novelists is sometimes they can be brewing on an idea for, for like 10 years or a right. year or you don't know how long. Is this something that, kind of cliche question, but did it kind of pop into your head or have you been kind of sitting on this idea for, for a while? Well, um, both in a way. Um, so when I was a kid, I, I grew up, um, my grandfather was a chemist and a scientist and he had this extensive collection of old 50s and 60s science fiction. You know, the old kind of pulps, right? Um, and I loved them as a kid growing up. So I was a kid in the 80s and I, I used to love kind of peeling these old, brittle, editions off of his shelf and kind of and reading these wild science fiction stories but also just the covers you know I love these garishly painted covers with these images of mm. mad scientists and futuristic cities and robots and all this kind of stuff I just thought they were fascinating but at the same time even as a kid I, I realized that the future wasn't turning out the way these writers and artists in the 50s and 60s imagined it mm. would like you know I did not get a jetpack for my 10th birthday um, like so, back to the future right yeah something had gone wrong and I, and I just was interested in that idea and I, I guess so I've been interested in what happened to the future we were supposed to have since I was a kid now that's just an idea mm. that's not a story that's just a sort of a thought um, it was many years later now I've been working as a screenwriter for a number of years and, and the idea of 
somebody landing in our world. You know, there's a lot of dystopia is quite big in our fiction right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of somebody landing in our world and perceiving our world as the dystopia, I thought that was sort of an interesting yeah. in, you know, a way to look Definitely. at our world with fresh eyes. And then I thought, well, where could that person come from? And then it occurred to me, oh, that I could combine that sort of childhood interest in our abandoned utopias with this sort of idea about about a, a guy sort of waking up in our world and having to make sense of what's gone wrong. And then that, that was when the sort of the idea, the spark for the novel came about. Yeah. And with your, I guess, your own journey into where you are now, I feel like, I don't know if you will agree with this, but it it seems like the film industry is, is famously like very hard to get into and there's no one route in and there's no guidebook. I guess it's the same with lots of creative industries, but it feels like sometimes it's so random how people end up into it. So I was just, I was just really curious how you did get into writing screenplays. And sure. How. And it still staggers me because, you know, I, so I was born in, um, in Vancouver. Um, my mom was American born, she's from Chicago. My father is actually from Morocco, from Marrakesh. And my mom um, ended up living in London, actually here in London in the late 60s. And my father had left Morocco for France and then had immigrated to Israel. By the time he was 10, he'd lived on three different continents. And my mother had been living here. She was working at the Institute for Contemporary Art. She was doing street theater in the late 60s uh, here in London. I think she ran out of money, basically. Uh, Street theater not being particularly lucrative. (laughs) And she had ended up taking a job teaching English in Jerusalem to kind of make a little bit of money. And um, they met one day randomly. Wow. Uh, my, wife, my, my, my mom was walking down the street and, and was hungry, and she went into this coffee shop just randomly. And it happened to be the coffee shop underneath my father's law office. He was a lawyer oh that he just would go to for lunch. And they, he was leaving, and she was coming in, and they met in the doorway. And I think a lot about how the fact that I'm even sitting here. Thank God she went to get that coffee or went into that. Yeah, if she had yeah. gone to a different coffee shop, if he had left a few seconds earlier. I love that. St- I just, e- yeah. Even if my my father, you know, my father is the kind of person who had the confidence to talk to a total stranger, and and they, and, and they barely spoke the same language, mm. um, but they talked and they had some kind of connection and they decided to explore it and I'm here because of that. That's that's a sort of a, that's not I'm not answering your question very well, but. Um, I ended up, so they moved, uh, they ended up coming to Vancouver. My mother, actually, you know, she came here, she was an actress in the theater. Uh, um, But she, because she got this day job working at the Institute for Contemporary Art, it opened up this love of, of, of art to her. And she ended up doing her PhD in Vancouver, and she went on to become a curator and, a, and an art critic. Um, and my father had to completely transform his life because he had been a, a lawyer in Israel. He arrived in Canada. Didn't he? Only spoke one word of English. Hello. I think he had to learn how to say "I do" for the wedding, um, and uh, he had to totally reinvent himself. But I grew up in Vancouver. Where I didn't know anybody in the film industry, and so the idea of growing up to be a screenwriter, let alone a novelist, seemed very, very far away. But like most of these things, you know, it's one step at a time, right? I, I, always, t- I always tell people, when, when I think of like breaking into the film industry, uh, or frankly, novel writing as well, it's like, it's like this hedge maze, you know? And you go in and every time one person finds their way out, that door closes. Every single person who goes through, it's like some weird idiosyncratic route. Yeah. But I went to, I, I, you know, I went to university and um, uh, I don't want to make the story too long, but I'll try to make it entertaining. Um, so I, I studied, I studied uh, film and English, studied both. And, uh, Me too. Oh yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, and I, I ran into this woman. So I, 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 was, I was still a student. I was, 
I've been working at the Toronto Film Festival. I got a job uh, just as somebody's assistant, like getting their dry cleaning and like doing their schedule. Nothing particularly fancy, although it did introduce me to a lot of people, and I met a lot of people in the film business, which was terrific when you're a student and trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, realizing that oh, these filmmakers that you revere. You know, I wasn't doing anything fancy. I was like, as I said, I was like getting, I was making people's restaurant reservations and mm-hmm. things like that. But you meet these filmmakers who you revere and they're just people, right? They're just people. They may do amazing work, but you can just have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And that was really important for me because I think I kind of idolized that, those creative people and realizing, no, no, they're just people like me. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much for, you know, they have figured something out, obviously, that I have to, but it just makes it more believable. It makes it more real, like you could do it too. And as I ran into this woman who I'd gone to university with, and she was working, she'd gotten a job as an assistant to a producer, just like me, she was an assistant. She wasn't doing anything particularly fancy. Um, and we were talking, and you know, she had seen some of my short films and read some of my, you know, that I'd done in film school, and she'd liked them, and, and she was talking, we were talking about what we wanted to do, and I, I said, you know, I want to be a writer. Um, now, when I say I want to be a writer, I had not written anything. Okay, I wanted to be a writer in theory. The actual writing part hadn't happened yet. I just, I, you know, and so that's one of the things I learned is like, if you want to be a writer, you, it just would be a good idea to write things. Um, at least finish them. I'd started a lot of things. I just hadn't finished them. And that's such a hard thing to do, right? Um, but she said, I mean, and this is just one of those things in life. It was an opportunity. She said, you know, I could get you a meeting with my boss. We just did this kids movie. Uh, it did really well. They're looking at hiring a writer for the sequel. You're not going to get hired. Like, there's no chance you're going to get hired, but I could get you a meeting. And I was like, a meeting? I mean, like, that's so far beyond what my actual plans were. Because my plan was like, well, I need to get a job. Like, either I'm either going to work as a barista or a bartender. So a meeting with a producer, that's great. So I took the meeting. And I have to say, you know, I was still a student. I don't know if something was, like, lost in translation. Like, I think the producer thought if I was in the room with him, I must know what I'm doing. Because nobody asked to read any of my writing. Um... And he sat there and put his feet up on his desk and he told me what he thinks the sequel to his kids' movie should be about. And because I was told before the meeting there was no chance I was going to be hired. So I was like, so I basically said, I don't, I don't, think, that's a, I don't think that's the way you should go. And he's like, oh. And I was like, this is what I think your sequel should be about. And I pitched him just in the room off the top of my head an idea for a sequel. And he liked it. He, and he's like, I'm going to think about this. And this is like, there's some really good ideas there. And I was like... Well, that's, that's the end of this story. That's is, you know, they're going to just, even if they do take my ideas, they'll hire a real writer. But the next day, which was actually my birthday, uh, I got a call and they offered me like $1,000 to take what I'd said in the meeting and write it down and then into an outline. And I was like, okay. So I did that. They liked the pages and they off- hired me to write a first draft of the screenplay. And I was like, this cannot be how it works. This is ridiculous. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I didn't tell them that. I said, sure. And I didn't even negotiate. I literally just took their first <laughs> offer. And, uh, and I went out and I bought a copy of the Pulp Fiction screenplay. Um, mm. Because I love that movie. And I also felt like he kind of like does everything you could do in a movie in that movie. So I was like, well, if I want to know what it looks like when... A character's driving a car, I could just look that up. Mm. Or when they're having a conversation and walking down the street, or if they're cutting between two locations on a phone call. So it basically used Pulp Fiction as my script Bible. To the point where Pulp Fiction is 134 pages, so I made my script 134 pages, which is way too long (laughs) for a kid's movie. A kid's movie should be like 90 pages long. Uh, And the producer, when he got my first draft, he described it as war and peace with chimps. (laughs) Because there was monkeys in the movie. And, um, And, but... 
he liked it and felt like there was a good movie in there. And so we worked together and I did like a bunch of drafts of the script and the movie got greenlit. And uh, it was crazy. But there's something to be said for just kind of doing it. Yeah. And just teaching yourself with things that you know and love. Yeah. And reference points that you understand yourself. Yeah, and that was the thing. I, I had felt like I had, I mean, and I guess this is why I probably keep coming back to these sort of stories. Like I'd felt like I'd woken up in this other reality where I'm a screenwriter and I'm being paid to write and everybody, people are like taking my ideas seriously when I don't know what I'm doing, but you fake it until you make it. I mean, I talk about this mm-hmm. in the book. There's one, at one point, one of the characters says, you know, everybody's winging it. That's the mm-hmm. secret of life. Yeah. Everybody's making it up as they go along. And you just, and like, it, the only, the only, the only thing you have is experience. What separates you from the people who you, you feel like they know what they're doing is that they have experience. They've done it before, and so they look confident. Yeah. But everybody's basically making it up as they go along, and so I had that as a very early lesson. That movie got greenlit, it got made, it it, it made money, and suddenly I had a screenwriting career. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, look, obviously, when I when I got hired, to, like if I if the work, work that I was doing was bad, I wouldn't have I would have been fired. In fact, I, assume, I kept assuming I would be fired. So obviously, I mean, like, you know, obviously I, there was something in my writing that they were responding to. At the same time, it was real. Like, I had an opportunity. It was total luck. But I just kind of went for it. Yeah. And um, that was the lesson I took in life, that when you get an opportunity, it doesn't matter if you feel ill-prepared. You just go for it. Mm. They will tell you if you're doing a bad job. Don't limit yourself. Because you, it's very easy to create these obstacles in your life where you say, I, oh, I can't do that. It's, it's too much. No one's going to take me seriously. Um, I don't have what it takes. Those are personal obstacles. But, you know, I, I tend to be, I learned that very young. It was a, a lucky lesson to learn, which is that the world will tell you if you're not good enough. You don't need to tell the world that. Mm. Just do your thing. Do the best you can. Work as hard as you can. And just, if you don't have the confidence, just fake it. Yeah. yeah. God, that's, so, that's such good advice. Which, of course, doesn't mean like you shouldn't have high standards and yeah. work really hard and make it the best you can. Yeah. But, no, that idea of I'm going to externalize judgment was a big early lesson for me you know because up until that point I said like I wanted to be a writer but I never finished Mm -hmm. things because when you finish it then you know if if, what it is right until you finish something you can't send somebody a half finished thing so as long as you never finish anything you never get judged right but uh, that was the the, being forced into that situation well not forced but kind of being thrust into the Mm -hmm. situation um, yeah that's what it taught me and it was it was a really important lesson for me even writing this novel you know when I wrote this novel look I I'm coming at it from a different perspective than a lot of first-time novelists because I had a career as a screenwriter. Things have gone, gone well for me. I've had five movies made. You know, I've won some awards, all that sort of stuff. So it's like I was already a working writer. But I'd never written a novel before. I didn't have a book deal. I didn't have an agent. Nobody was asking me to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sort of went into it with the same perspective, which yeah. is um, this is something I feel like I, I, is important to, mm-hmm. for me to do. Not for not important for the world, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to go for it. And if the world tells me that my book is terrible... I will externalize judgment, you know. <laughs> Fortunately, so far that hasn't happened. People <laughs> seem to like the book. Yeah. Brilliant book. Well, I appreciate that. To worry about. Well, thank you. Um, but I, I, that idea of like, let, let them tell you if it's yeah. bad uh, was really, mm-hmm. I, I was really lucky because I learned that early on in my career. Yeah, it feels like as well that, you know, people do want to help people. Yeah, I, I, it's something that I was really actually shocked about Hollywood, to be honest, because I, all, when growing up, not knowing anybody in the business, um, I just assumed it was like a closed system. Nobody wants to help anybody. They're all just out for themselves. And look, there are people <laughs> like that there. Like, do not, like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. But there's actually a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of people who are just, you know, they're, they're artists. They are looking for great, they're looking for new voices. They want to find talent because it's a collaborative 
art form. And so you want to find great collaborators. And there are a lot of people, you know, I've had Oscar and Emmy winning writers, producers, I've had amazing actors who just have read my work, I don't know them at all, and they've gotten in touch because they liked my work and wanted to find if we could do something together. And I'm, I, every, I was just like completely shocked when that happened, that these people who are like, you know, I've had people just reach out out of the blue who I am like massive fans of and would never have thought of getting in contact with them, but they saw a film I did or read something that I wrote and just connected to it and they they were looking for great collaborators and so that you of course you have to get into a place where they actually even can see your work but but that sort of spirit of like helping people just Mm -hmm. like and and just one addendum to that story I told about the kids movie that assistant who got me the meeting that I wasn't supposed to get hired for uh, she got an assistant producing she got an associate producer credit on the movie for helping find the writer and that was her first producing credit she's produced 22 movies since then <gasps> wow and so she by helping me because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's another big thing about it that was the other thing that I learned which was a really important lesson in life which is when somebody helps you make them look good mm. if somebody there's nothing worse and look I've ha- I, I try to do the same thing I try to help people I try to like introduce them give them a little bit of a leg up if they, you know if I, if, if I respond to their work and if I feel they're talented and if I feel like they're like they're a good person mm. um, but I have had experiences where people let you down where you give them an opportunity and they kind of like they, they don't treat people well they don't work hard they don't they just don't deliver mm. and it's it's tough because you it's it's always a lot better if you help somebody and they like make you look good yeah, they yeah. they sort of um, show it everybody on you. exactly yeah. and so I try to always when anybody has ever given me a break I try to make them look as good as possible and that was the other lesson which was when this this young she was just an assistant um, this got to be her first producing credit mm. I was like. I, I helped her as as much as she helped me. I mean, actually, she helped me more than I helped her. But but I was happy to be able to return the favor in yeah. that way. And now she's gone off onto a wonderful producing career. And I'm sure she would have anyways because she's talented. But it was nice for me to know that her very generous gesture was was sort of repaid. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah. And it's 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 nice how as well with any sort of career like this that I guess your well the similarities is kind of you're not pigeonholed. It's like you're you can do all sorts of different writing, yeah. which must be quite nice now. Yeah, it is. I mean, um same with kind of like Zoe and Daniel Radcliffe and, and even Adam Driver. It's like if you think about them, they haven't pigeonholed themselves either. No. You do whatever you want to do. But but it is actually a ch- that's a challenge that you have to take on because I mean, like look, I've been very fortunate the work I've done in Hollywood and the people I've been able to work with. I mean, I, I know I'm really lucky. But the thing about Hollywood, and this is true, is that they will never actually reward you for challenging yourself. They will only reward you for repeating yourself. Mm. It's just the way the system is based. It doesn't mean every single person. There are people who will give you those opportunities. You see that with sequels. That's, weird, yeah, and you see with actors who, who do the same kind of role over and over again because mm. you, you can be rewarded very lucratively for doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. Which you have to earn the kind of clout to challenge and do something different. Now. In the case of the novel, as I said, like I just decided to write it. I didn't ask anybody's permission. I didn't pitch it ahead of time. I just wrote, I wrote the whole manuscript. Now, of course, there was an editorial process once I once I sold it to Penguin Random House. But um, but I wrote the manuscript, you know, just on my on my own mm-hmm. before I took it out because I knew no one's going to pay me to write a novel that I had since I'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. I had to kind of take that on to myself. I had to mm-hmm. take a I had to take a step away, do it on the side, and if yeah. it turned out that nobody wanted to publish it. I took the risk and I and I and it didn't work out. As it happened, I was you know it did work out and I got a publishing deal out of it. Um, but which is all to say that when you know folks like Dan and Zoe and Adam who have these multifaceted careers, they have them because they're 
they, they, they know that they don't, they don't want to be pigeonholed. They're, mm-hmm. they're actors, but they also are they're artists. You know, they want to keep challenging themselves. They want to yeah. keep pushing themselves. Instead of doing just endless franchise movies, although there's absolutely nothing wrong with those, mm-hmm. Dan is all, Daniel is also doing plays. He's challenging himself with really mm-hmm. cool, edgy, independent roles. Like, he's growing as yeah. an actor. Um, and Zoe as well, you know. I mean, she acts in plays. She writes plays. She writes movies. She stars in them as well. She's, you know, very politically vocal. And I, I'm inspired by them yeah. to keep to do those things myself. So what are you excited about kind of this year coming up that is might be challenging or just maybe to do with the book? Just for, for me? For the, for you, yeah. I, just, so, I feel well, like we're at the beginning of the year still, but we're kind yeah, of, well, we're in March, yeah. but is there anything you're looking forward to? No, I mean, well, so one of the things that's happened is we sold the movie rights to the book. And mm-hmm. so Paramount yes. bought the movie rights. And it's Amy. Amy Pascal, yes. yeah, is producing that's it. Amazing. So I'm in the process. Now, having stepped away from movies to write this book, I'm now in the process of turning the book into a movie. Yeah. So I just, uh, I just, just finished the second draft, and uh, and it's good. It's in good shape. I mean, we still have some, pro- you know, we still have the ways to go. Mm-hmm. But the idea of taking this novel and then turning it into a screenplay, it's definitely wow. been very challenging. Yeah, um, just, that's going to be um, in casting it as well. Would be yeah. That must be crazy because you you know these characters so well. Yes, it's going to be a very interesting part of the process. Um, I'm a little bit. It's funny because the one the one nice thing about a book is that when you read it you can imagine the characters looking however you want them to. Mm. You can personalize that. And so, obviously, look, I'm very fortunate. You, When you get a, a movie made of your book, it's amazing. And they'll ca- hopefully we'll cast some terrific actors. But as soon as we cast those actors, then they're the face of the characters mm. forever, you know? They'll be on the follow-up. They'll, be on, they'll the literally book. be on the cover of the book. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so... I, I, and that's one of the things you give up, and it's it's you know it's a worth it's a worthwhile trade. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy that right now you can read the book and imagine them however you want. Yes. And when that happens, you know that that's fine. Then that'll be the trade-off. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about working on the movie version because um, also you know look the reality is you get I have this story that I was so excited to tell that mm-hmm. I wrote, wrote a whole book about it. I know that there's there's audience members who are who aren't going to read the book or who they're going to discover this story and these characters that I love through the movie and so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited about that and then I'm writing a second novel Amazing. and so I'm about halfway through different it's, characters yeah it's 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 not a sequel it's not related to this book I mean mm-hmm. thematically tonally I, I wanted to write something that if you like my first book I, I think you'll like this book mm-hmm. as well but it's they're different okay. um, and so that's just you know the first time you write a novel you don't even know if you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second time when you write a novel, suddenly you're like, oh, like, okay, I did this once and I can do it again. Mm-hmm. How do I repeat myself without repeating myself? Yeah. How do I keep challenging myself without losing my reader? I like to be welcoming. You know, I want to write a warm novel that invites you in. You know, I am mm-hmm. exploring some sort of bigger themes, but fundamentally I want to entertain people. I want to delight them. I want to make them feel. I want mm-hmm. to thrill them. Um, and so you want to do that again. Yeah. Um, That's good news for people who enjoy this book. Yeah. yeah knowing that another one... Might be coming. Yeah, no, it's definitely. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's ha- it's halfway mm-hmm. done now, and so those are the two big personal, like, kind of professional challenges. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what I'm looking for, I'm just hoping that we all survive 2017. That's mm. that's the main thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it sounds futuristic, doesn't it? 2017. It does. Still. I don't know why. It just feels like really are we in this year and things still aren't solved. Well, that's you know that's, that's what the book is about. That is exactly what the book, what the book is, about. is about. Thank you so much. I know you're really busy. You're doing so much promotion for the book, so honoured to have you. Oh, well, I was delighted to be on the show. This was a really fun conversation, Emma. Yeah, really good. I've enjoyed it. Um, So the book is out tomorrow, Thursday, the 2nd of March. March. And 
people can buy it from all bookstores available, really, can't they? You can buy the bookstore, you know, at a bookstore, you can buy a hard copy of it. You can um, download the audiobook, which I narrated. And uh, so if you like the dulcet tones <laughs> coming at you through the podcast, you can hear the story that way as well. It's also available as an ebook wherever you get your ebooks. Perfect. Well, congratulations again. Thank you. Really excited for the film. Thank you very much. I'm really excited for the next one and everything that you're doing. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me.